Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Take It or Leave It. It's your host, J-Rod, back on the podcast scene after a year layoff. As some of you guys may or may not know, I did get married. Life happens. I was out of the podcast world, but I'm back in now. I'm excited to be back. Last year, it was really great. Uh, I learned a few things, so I'm really ready to just dive back in, and I'm so excited to have you guys back with me even change the podcast name and everything. The new podcast name is Take It or Leave It. Now, you may ask why. Listen, there's going to be a lot of hot takes on this show. People are going to call in. They're going to disagree with me. I'm going to disagree with them. I may agree with them. It may go both ways. But at the end of the day, you take my take, you leave the take. Regardless, we always keep it respectful, 100%. I'm so excited to be back. I'm so excited to have you guys here with me. I am expecting to um, continue with this podcast every single week. It's going to be a weekly podcast. So this is episode one officially in the books, and we're going to make it happen. Just want to set some ground rules real quick. Um, You guys do have the ability to call in if you would like to share your takes on whatever it is I may be discussing. Everyone is welcome. Give your opinion. Call in. Chime in. Let me know what you think. The number is 646-564-9820. That's 646-564-9820. We'll cue you right in, and that way you can join in on the discussion that we're having. With that being said, when you guys do call in, please refrain from using profanity. Let's keep it professional and respectful. You guys know me. I know you. We keep it cool, all right? So if we can do that, we're going to have a great time, and I'm really excited, man. It's a good time to be back on the podcasting. The NBA Finals has wrapped up. I specifically waited at least one week so we can fully digest what we just witnessed in the NBA fi- um, Finals as it has come to a close. Additionally, the conclusion of the NBA Finals is the startup of the NBA offseason with first and foremost the NBA draft followed by free agency. So I figured, hey, man, this is a good time. Let's do it. Let's get on this podcast wave again. So once again, I'm excited to be back. Additionally, it's not only going to be basketball. This week is a special edition for basketball only, but in the next coming weeks, whatever which way we flow, that's the way that we'll go. So the um, MLB season is also in full effect. The summer stretch is coming up right now. So a lot of teams are trying to, you know, make that playoff push. Additionally, football season will also be upon us soon. For my hockey fans, the Stanley Cup has concluded. So we're going to talk about that probably within the next few weeks as well. So baseball, basketball, football, whatever it is, you got it. We'll have it here for you. So let's dive right in. Again, the call-in number is 646-564-9820. Again, I'm your host, J-Rod, and we will be here every single week. I will let you guys know. Follow me on Instagram, Mr. Underscore J-Rod, two Y's, J-A-Y-Y-R-O-D. Also, if you got me on Facebook, I'll definitely be keeping you guys updated and keep you up to speed about everything, all the podcasts that we plan to do and the specific time, the specific date. This one was was supposed to start at 9 o'clock. We had a little bit of, you know, technical difficulties, but we're back in action. 9.30 was a set time and we're ready to go. So, A lot of things you want to talk about. As I said, we have just concluded the NBA Finals. 
and the Golden State Warriors have dethroned the King, LeBron James, and the Cavaliers in five games in a best-of-seven series. They did it. They won it at home. KD, as everybody knows, went to Golden State after losing to OKC in the Western Conference Finals the year before. And as some might call it, jumping ship, easy way out, whatever you want to describe it at, that's what happened. That was last summer. And the big question was, can they pull it off? Will KD be able to make a difference? Now, there was a lot of talk once he went there. Oh, he's soft, this and that. He took the high, the easy road. There's only one ball. I don't think they'll be successful, but they got the job done. Warriors in five game. Kevin Durant, my man, was the MVP. 35-8-5 on the series. Just nasty with the bucket in game three to seal the deal. Three-point shot in LeBron's grill to put Golden State up by one point and put the pressure on the Cavs by taking a 3-0 series lead. His numbers were sick. He definitely deserved MVP. He shot 56% from the field, 47% from three, and 93% from the free throw line. 35 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists. KD, he did it. He proved everybody wrong. He shut everybody up. Your man did his thing. Now, let's not forget, there's been a little talk that Steph hasn't really showed up in the finals, but he showed up in this one as well. It was just overshadowed by the performance of Kevin Durant. However, Steph Curry, 27 points, 8 rebounds, and 9 assists, averaging a triple-double. If Kevin Durant was even 60% of what of himself and what he did, Steph Curry would have won that MVP, but they had no choice. You got to give it to Kevin Durant. He definitely deserved it. He played his heart out. He did his thing, and the Warriors regained that championship crown after Cleveland took it from them last year, which was definitely an exciting series. So we're just going to recap this NBA Finals real quick. A few things to talk about. Obviously, the Cavs lost. It was a very disappointing loss for LeBron James and the Cavs. LeBron did everything he could have possibly done. 37 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists. First man to average a triple-double in the finals. But it wasn't enough. Kyrie, he did his thing as well, scoring the ball, 29 points, 4 assists, 4 boards. He could have done better at facilitating, getting his teammates more involved. But we already know that's always been kind of Kyrie's problem. But he did his job in scoring. Now, there were a few key guys as well who were supposed to be key to this team that, in my opinion, didn't show up. Kevin Love, 16 points, 11 boards. On a regular day, on any team, you take it from your third guy, from your third uh, star on your team. Whoever your third best player might be, I will take 16 and 11 every day. But this is Kevin Love, and he has been disappearing in the finals. I'm not saying this is a disappearing act, but he definitely could have done better for sure. He did not live up to the expectations. He did not live up to why Cleveland brought him there in the first place, 16, 11, and 1. The reason also why I say that, he shot 39% from the field and 39% from three. Absolutely disgusting. Unacceptable. Part of the reason why they lost. Additionally, Tristan Thompson, ghost, ghost, 
five points, five rebounds, and two assists in the NBA Finals. Yes, he's not a big scorer, but your job is to clean the boards up, and your man averaged five rebounds all series. Absolutely disgusting. Part of the reason why they also lost was their bench. Aside from LeBron James, Kyrie, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, nobody on the bench averaged more than five points, and that was 48-year-old Richard Jefferson, sometimes turning back the clock to his net, his uh, net days, jumping off of two feet for a dunk, shocking everybody. It just wasn't enough. The Warriors were too deep, too talented, and the Cavs had really no match for them. LeBron James did all he possibly could, but unfortunately, it wasn't enough. Real quick, game one, it was a blowout, complete blowout, not even a question. Game two, blowout as well, 132 to 113. Now, game three, I want to take a few to discuss game three briefly. Game three was a very, very interesting game because the Cavs were up for the majority of that game. In the fourth quarter, with 54 seconds left, they were up by two points. The Cavaliers had possession. Now, this was a very, very controversial sequence of plays from 54 seconds until the end of this game. Mind you, Golden State is already up two games to none, so this is a must-win for Cleveland at home. They say, you know, the series doesn't start until the home team takes the L. Golden State, they did their job. They won their two games at home. Now it was to Cleveland in game three in a very, very pivotal game. Down, I'm sorry, Cavs up by two points with 54 seconds left. LeBron James comes down the court, swings the three to Kyle Korver, and Kyle Korver misses the three. Kyle Korver's only job when he came to the Cavs was to shoot and make the three. He did not do that all series. Someone else who was also ghost. Now, people say, LeBron James, drive, do what you do. LeBron James made the right play. Questionably the right play. Kyle Korver was open. He is one of the best three-point shooters ever. One of the best ones in the league. But he just missed. So that was a great play. LeBron James always makes the right play. Of course, people would like to see him a little bit more aggressive. However, he felt that was the right play, and Kyle Korver missed. He was wide open. Now, LeBron James is wrong here because KD comes down, shoots the three in his grill. Easy money sniper, taking it back to his Rucker days when he was in Rucker Park dropping buckets. He had LeBron James on his heel. I don't know what LeBron was thinking. I have no idea what he was thinking. That is KD's hot spot. He came down. Drilled the three. You know they're going for the three. You know it. Because at this point in time, you're on the road. You're down by two points. And when you see someone who's tired, LeBron James was gassed, averaging 43 minutes a game, and he's on his heels, that was the move to make, that three-point shot. And that was the game. After that, this is really the play that I want to discuss the Cavs got the ball back with 55 seconds left. They inbounded that ball down by one point. Kyrie Irving goes ISO. 
Doesn't pass the ball to anyone. Doesn't look to anyone. Goes straight isolation. Runs off 18 seconds from the clock. Shoots the ball over Clay Thompson, who's an elite defender, with 27 seconds left, and misses. Now, I am a very avid LeBron James fan. And yes, I was screaming for LeBron to get that ball. LeBron has to demand the ball in that situation. There is no reason why Kyrie Irving should be taking that shot on an isolation play. Run a play. Nobody moved. Everyone's literally watching Kyrie go ISO against one of the best guards, perimeter defenders in the league in Klay Thompson. And LeBron James is watching him in the NBA Finals at home, down three, I'm sorry, down two to nothing. Unacceptable. We all know LeBron driving to the rim, I want to say 75% of the time, he draws a foul. You're only down by one point. So why is it that you don't demand the ball? And this is part of the problem that people have with LeBron James. When it's late in games, he doesn't perform. And I've tried to defend this man for a long time. I was very, very disappointed by it. Very disappointed by it. And it eventually cost him the game. Kyrie, for as good as he is, that wasn't his shot. That wasn't his play. LeBron James needs to demand the ball and take that shot. We're going to welcome in our first guest, Tito from Florida, checking in live. Tito, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Justin? How you doing? How's everything? How you doing? Good, man. Congratulations on your marriage, What's going on? What's on your mind? I'm sorry about that? Uh, uh, on your marriage, man. Thank you so much, bro. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I hear you talking about the finals. It was it was tough to watch, man, but you, you made a great point about, especially that corporate play, they got him on that team for that play, and he just didn't knock it down. His only purpose when he it came was to, to the hit team that shot. was to shoot threes. Because we know yep. he's not a defender. We know he doesn't drive to the basket. His only job is to shoot threes. So if you're LeBron James, can you really sit back and say, man, I made the wrong play? No, that was the right play. That was the right play. And then going to the Kyrie Irving play, you got to remember, you don't have Steph Curry on you this year. Clay Thompson's a tall defender, and he's an elite defender. So that was a tough shot. And like you said, LeBron should have had the ball at that end of the game. Absolutely. And that's a very, very great point. And this is what Golden State did by adding Kevin Durant. Now you no longer have to have Steph on Kyrie. Because last year, it was a great battle between Steph and Kyrie, and they were both giving each other the work. But now you got Klay Thompson on you, a 6'8 defender. And don't get me wrong, Kyrie is amazing. He's one of the best isolation players, but not at that moment in the game. I totally agree. Totally agree. Anything else that you took from the uh, finals that you saw? Anything else that you want to share with us? Durant showed up. Durant looked more at ease. I didn't say it was easy. I I think he was more at ease knowing that he had other players, great players with him, just not Russell. You know, um, because the boxes here and there, but he looked a lot more free and a lot more confident in this finals than he did last year's playoffs. Because Absolutely. last year's playoffs, even, he was 
not hitting shots towards the end of the game. Maybe he was gassed or just the pressure amounted on them, but he didn't have that pressure on him this year. You could see he was playing fun. It was just he looked at ease. Definitely, definitely. And he was uh, more carefree. I understand he had more talented guys around him, but the game came a lot easier to him because the pressure wasn't on him. He was no longer in a position where he had to be that guy. He still was that guy, but it wasn't a mental thing at that point in time. So he put on a performance for the ages. The shot that he grilled LeBron with was just nasty, disgusting. That was a nasty three, came down, bang, bang. Tito, thank you so much. We're going to talk about some more things that I know you want to discuss further on in the podcast, <laughs> so I hope you give us a call back and you let us know yep. what's up, all right? All right. Now we're going to bring in our next caller. Hello. Yo. What's going on? What's going on? What's your name? What's good? Matt. Matthew, what's going on, bro? Where you calling from? Your house? Your car? No, nah, no, nah, I'm on, I'm walking to my building. I was food oh, shopping. I'm walking to the building. What's going on, Matthew? What's yeah. on your mind? Not much, man. What what's the hot topic? What what are we talking about? I came in a little nah, late. Yeah, you came in a little late. We just having a little recap of the NBA finals. Kevin Durant showing up doing his thing with the MVP. Fifty six percent from the field, forty seven percent from three, ninety three percent from the line, disgusting. But we were just talking about game three and how LeBron James passed the ball to Kyle Korver in the corner and how some folks thought it was the bad play, that LeBron James should have done something else. But my viewpoint was that it was is, the best play. That was the play all right. because Kyle Korver You may say job. it's the best play, right? But I'm not sure if you're one of the people who said LeBron is unstoppable. LeBron is this. LeBron is that. LeBron's Jesus Christ's little brother. I've heard it all about this guy. <laughs> when the lights shine brightest, he passes the ball. This this is nothing new to us. This is nothing new to us. We knew. That's, listen, the clock, fine. Kyrie carried them. I'm not sure you guys remember, so I'm going uphill. Kyrie carried them through a large point of that game. The fourth quarter was LeBron's quarter. He should have put his head down and go straight to the basket. Everybody knows LeBron gets more calls than anybody. Use that to your advantage. Put your head down, drive to the basket, and get the M1. You've been doing it all game. Why are you changing? Why is your strategy changing in the last three minutes of the game? Now, I definitely agree with you on that. And before you came in, I had actually said the play afterward, which was after KD came down and shot that three, where Kyrie went ISO. LeBron James needs to demand the ball right there because now they're down. But he didn't do that. He let Kyrie go ISO against one of the most elite defenders in the league in Klay Thompson, and that was not the correct play. But I have to disagree. The play before that, Kyle Korver only came to this team to do one thing. And if you're wide open for a three, why not? That was the right play. I, I understand that folks think he, you know, disappears. I get it. But in that specific moment, it's about situational basketball. There was a backside pick. Kyle Korver was wide open. Nobody on him. You have to take that play. It could be whoever. It could be whoever. That's a shot with the shooter, and he just flat out missed. But the play afterwards, when Kyrie went ISO, unacceptable. I agree with that. But now, who is the leader of the Cleveland Cavaliers? Is it Kyle Korver? 
If we no. need a bucket, if we need a bucket, we got 10 seconds on the clock. Do, do you say, oh, you know what, we're going to draw a play for Kyle Korver? No. You're saying, oh, we're going to draw a play for LeBron? We're going to draw a play for Kyrie? We may even draw a play for J.R. Smith. Now, before you guys laugh at that, hear me out. Did you guys see what J.R. Smith was shooting in that game? It was something ridiculous, like 7 of 8 or 8 of 9. He was. He was. He was a big part of that game. You're gonna put, I, I absolutely agree. And you're going to put the ball in Kyle Korver's hand. It, but, it, but it, also doesn't too, make sense. it doesn't make sense. Also, too, this wasn't a drawn-up play. This was an on-the-fly kind of thing. I'm not even sure if it was an actual like set play, but again, it can go both ways. We can sit here and say, LeBron James, drive, get the foul. That's fine. But at the same time, as a basketball player, if you're the best player on your team, your instinct is to make the play, the, the best play. Because if there's three guys in that paint, maybe the best play at that specific point in time isn't to drive. Maybe it's to drive and kick. And I think it was Justin, Kevin Love can, can, who, can set that, who set that backside who, who pick. Is, who, is, who is LeBron compared to? I think LeBron James is LeBron James. That's my opinion. Right, but everybody on planet Earth besides you compares LeBron James to two people. They say, "Oh, he's not better than Michael Jordan," and the people who did not, who are not old enough to watch Jordan play, say, "Oh, he's not better than Kobe Bryant." Now, with that in mind, I think the proper comparison is Magic Johnson, but that's just would Michael Jordan have passed that ball? The answer is no. But Would James Kobe Bryant supported. have passed that ball? The answer Kobe is no. Bryant either. So if LeBron James is of, LeBron of the James. greatest. If we're gonna put if we're gonna put him in the conversation, if in the same sentence that we say Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, we're gonna say LeBron James. Somewhere down the line, he needs killer instinct, and that is something he does not have. Game Absolutely. three, they should have put it away. Kyrie played his life out. He left everything on that floor. And they could not close. But you know what? We, when we think of the Cavaliers, we don't think of Kyrie. We think of LeBron James. You're right. And if you're not a, if you, it don't matter who starts. It's all about who finishes. And he did not get the job done. Absolutely Was right. Thank you so much. Yes. But, you know, I'm hearing talk about him. Tooling up for next year. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. And we're going to discuss that soon. So if you want to give a call back on that, we definitely welcome you in. Thanks for your call, Matthew. I appreciate it. Take, take care. All right. can go both ways, guys. can go both ways. If Kyle Corver hits the shot, LeBron James, oh, that was the greatest basketball play. That's what he was supposed to do. Kyle Corver was supposed to hit that shot. But when LeBron doesn't hit that shot, oh, that was the most terrible play that he could, could have possibly done. So it's kind of a lose-lose situation. That was game three. If they would have won that game and sealed the deal, we probably would have seen a game seven last night because, I mean, the series would have been tied 2-2, going back to Golden State. and At that point, anything can happen. And we all know that already. But that wasn't the case. Golden State went up three games to none. Um, they played a game four in Cleveland which was won by the score of um, 137 to 116 in favor of the Cavs. A few questionable calls in that game as well, which there was also 
an uproar about that as well. Um, but the Cavs won that game, sent the series back to Oakland, where eventually Golden State Warriors sealed the deal off in game five, 129 to 120 with KD taking home the MVP. So with that being said, now we're going to discuss a very, very controversial and interesting topic that has been on the minds of everyone since KD actually joined Golden State last year. Did Kevin Durant ruin the NBA? Did Kevin Durant ruin the NBA? Whether you view that as, um, I actually had some folks say, oh, I'm done with basketball. I'm not watching that anymore. It's no fun. Who wants to see the same two teams play? We've seen that in times past. History has shown us that there have been stretches where the same two teams have played each other multiple times in multiple years. However, in this specific situation, I do not believe that Kevin Durant single-handedly ruined the NBA. He is going along with the trends that have been set. Now, I don't know about you, but for myself, I would not be complacent with where I am. Kevin Durant, by staying in OKC, shows complacency, especially when it was shown that they could not get over the hump. They could not bring a championship to OKC. Now, I know the big argument is, well, they were up 3-1 last year against Golden State. Absolutely. But they'd lost. They'd lost. And I don't believe that this same argument would be had had they lost to anybody else. But because they lost to Golden State, now it's as if, oh, I lost to that team, so I'm going to join them. That's not what happened. Anybody, anybody, you can go to the park right now, your local park, play ball. You show up with your boys. You guys lose a few games. You see a few of your more, a few more of your boys there that are really good. You're going to sit there and tell me that you won't want to join them to win? I'm not sure if we've lost that, but the goal in the NBA is to win. Kevin Durant wanted to win. Another point is, we see it as them just playing basketball. Because in our lives, that's a recreational activity. But in their lives, this is a career. This is their life. This is what they do to provide for their family. They play basketball. They've been fortunate enough that they can play that type of game and make millions of dollars. But for us, we can't see it that way because we're playing basketball in the street. But these guys are playing to make money. These guys are playing for their legacy. These guys are playing to be known as a champion. And not everyone has that championship pedigree in them. I've always believed that Kevin Durant has. But because of multiple reasons, he hasn't gotten there. And I'm not going to blame it completely on Russell Westbrook. But a big portion of that was that Westbrook did not fit the style of play for Kevin Durant. Russell Westbrook is a guy that needs his own team. And we saw that this year. That man averaged a triple-double. That's who he is. And they had been together for a very long time, and it did not work. 
If Kevin Durant would have stayed, that would have showed complacency. Kevin Durant is not complacent. He wanted to win. And just like you go with your boys in the park to play basketball and you want to have the best five, he wanted to have the best five as well. And he wasn't the first to actually do that. He did not ruin the NBA. And this was not the first time. This is the first big four we've seen. But this is, the not, this is not the first quote-unquote super team that we've seen. LeBron James created his own against the Heat. Boston had their own when they won. The Lakers had their own. And I know there's many arguments about that. Oh, now it turns into guys weren't in their prime. At the end of the day, you had multiple stars on your team who were producing, putting up numbers, going to work. So why is KD exempt from being able to win a championship? He wasn't winning a championship in OKC. I'm sorry, he wasn't. He stuck it out for a long time. They made trades. That's out of his hands. Abaka, gone. Harden, gone. He doesn't make those calls. So now that he's a free agent, but so many times an NBA player can become one, it's a problem that he wanted to leave and join a team to win. I understand Golden State won 73 games, the most in NBA history in a regular season the year before. But again, if Golden State did not beat OKC two years ago, we would not be having this conversation. It would be a different conversation. This is the trend that had been set. This is the trend going forward. It was only made possible because of the contracts out in Golden State. Steph Curry has been underpaid. When he signed the extension, his ankles were questionable. His play not the same stuff that we know now. He was injury prone. So because of that, they signed him. Steph Curry played for $11 million last year. $11 million, two-time MVP. Unanimous at that. Two-time NBA champ. $11 million. Draymond Green signed an extension as well, as did Clay. But they were for relatively team-friendly contracts when you look at the actual cap. That's the reason why that they were able to make it work. And if you're able to make it work, why not? These are their guys' livelihood. Kevin Durant will now forever be known as a champion, no matter which way you slice it. And I know there are some guys who will constantly say, oh, I hate the Knicks, I'm hating on the Knicks. But look at Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo re-signed to stay with the Knicks. I love New York. Oh, man, New York is great. I feel like we have a really good... A really good chance to actually win games. Really? It was clear you signed here because they were off they were able to offer you the most money. Even after that, you said, I'm okay with being a gold medalist, an Olympic champion. I'm okay with being an NCAA champion. Complacency. And that's the difference between guys who are good. And guys who are great. That's the difference. So no, Kevin Durant did not ruin the NBA. He was going through with the flow, with the trends of what has been happening over the course of the past, what, eight years? And he made the decision that he made. 
in his best interest, and now he's an NBA champion, no matter which way you slice it. He had talent around him, yes, but you need talent to win, especially against a Cavalier team that's headed by the best basketball player in the world. There's nothing wrong with that. So how would they be able to keep up this team? Steph Curry is a free agent this year. Kevin Durant actually signed a one-and-one. And his goal, which was smart, was let Steph get paid. Steph is a two-time MVP, two-time world champion. Pay the man. He's been paying, he's been playing for $11 million a year for the past four years. Super underpaid. So they'll keep that big four. They have about $66 million in guaranteed caps um, and guaranteed contracts. The salary cap is expected to go up to $104 million. KD has already opted out of his contract, being that he signed the one and one. So he'll be back. He'll resign for less. Steph Curry will be able to get the max, and they'll still be able to fill their bench out relatively nicely so that they can be able to compete for at least the next three, four years. I believe potentially they could be in line for a dynasty. They really can. They really can. If they make the right moves, if guys are willing to sacrifice, they retain KD, they retain Steph, they improve their bench, they're set up. They're good to go. Now, for LeBron James, what's next for him? The Cavaliers are in a nightmare of a salary cap situation. They really are. Tristan Thompson, bad contract. J.R. Smith, bad contract. LeBron James is making $33 million a year. How can they overcome this? Clearly, it's not working. And I'm going to shout out Jonathan Baez right now because he made it very clear. It's very simple. Four superstars will always be bigger and greater than three. And the Cavs only have three. Golden State has four, and they'll continue to have four. So is Golden State just that good? They can't make a trade. The, the Cavs cannot make a reasonable trade to improve for another star without giving up Kevin Love. That's their best asset. So it's counterproductive if you give up your best asset, part of your big three, to just replace him in the big three. You still have three. You don't have four. So I've tried to think of any possible scenario where they can get a fourth star, but if it's at the expense of Kevin Love, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So what I think is the best option for the Cavs, the best move that they can possibly make, is to improve their bench. Their bench in the finals was weak. Weak. Darren Williams sucks. Richard Jefferson, he's 50 years old. Channing Frye, garbage. Corver, can't hit a three. The only reason why he was here. The only reason why he was brought here and he can't hit a three. Shumpert, I didn't even see his elite defense. And that's what he's there for. That's what he's known for. And I didn't even see it. They need to revamp their bench. J.R. Smith, as, incon- as inconsistent as he is, he showed up for a few games. He did his thing, but they need to get more solid glue guys, 3 and D guys. 
And it's going to be hard because the salary cap situation. I can't tell you who because I don't know. LeBron James is going to have to convince some guys to come over and play for a, veter- a veteran minimum contract. That's the only real options they have. I mean, there's really not much that they can do. So I don't believe that Cleveland is actually a threat to bring down Golden State. We'll dive into that a little bit more, you know, further on in the podcast. But Golden, I mean, Cleveland is not in a good position right now. Salary cap-wise, I mean, they're talking about trades for Jimmy Butler and Paul George. and There's a lot of reports flying out before this NBA draft coming up on Thursday. And at this point, I don't even know what's true, what's not true. Until I see something official, I don't know. But I don't know how they can make a trade for a guy like Jimmy Butler or Paul George without giving up Kevin Love or Kyrie. And again, that's counterproductive because they will not be able to beat Golden State with a big three. They need a big four and a decent bench, or they need a big three and a super solid deep, which is going to be hard because, again, their salary cap situation. So I don't have the answers. I don't know what's next. I know what their best possible bets are, but I don't know who those actual guys are. I can't tell you that. I don't know. The situation is looking very bleak, and we always say, oh, LeBron James, he'll figure it out. There's ways to work around the cap and make moves. But is there really a way to take down Golden State? What I, what I took away from this finals was that Golden State perhaps is just that good. And we're going to have to deal with it. We're going to have to deal with it. So I'm not too sure, but this is the NBA now. And this is what's going to happen over the course of the next few years. The last topic about LeBron James, um, after this finals loss, doesn't reflect very positively on him. Doesn't reflect positively on him at all. He's won three NBA finals, and he's lost five of them. He's three and five in the finals. Granted, going to the finals eight times is amazing. It's hard just to go once. But when you lose five times in the NBA finals... And guys are putting you in the conversation of Michael Jordan, comparing you to him, who's the greatest of all time. It's hard to size you up with that when you've lost in the finals five times. However, LeBron James' legacy, where he stands, despite the NBA Finals losses, he's in a solid place. He will go down in my opinion, as one of the top five NBA players to ever play this game. Ever. And that's for a few reasons. Now, his playing days aren't over yet, but he is a three-time champion. He is a four-time MVP. He's number seven all-time in scoring. All-time. He's number 12 all-time in assists. As a small forward, he won Rookie of the Year. He's been a scoring champion. He's a 13-time All-Star. He's an 11-time All-NBA First Team. Five-time All-NBA First Team defensively. All-American, Olympian. LeBron James really 
has done it all, except for win six chips, which at this point in time doesn't look very likely. The chances are slim to none at this point to win six chips. But it's hard for guys to accept and say, oh, I can't throw away the fact that he's lost five finals. I can't throw away the fact that he uh, supposedly created a super team, which he didn't. He, he, he didn't invent that. He joined one, yes, but again, the trends of the NBA. You go with what's trending. So aside from the uh, NBA Finals losses, LeBron James is good. His legacy is intact. However, we cannot put him in the conversation as the GOAT. We cannot put him over Michael Jordan. That ship has sailed. This NBA Finals was an opportunity for him to get at least a little bit closer. But that ship sailed. And trust me, I'm one of the biggest LeBron James fans. LeBron James is my Michael Jordan. Honestly, he is. Defended him. I fought for him. Rooted for him. But I'm not going to sit here and be unrealistic. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say, oh, he's better than MJ. He's not. And at this point in time, It's very likely that he won't be. But his legacy is still intact. He's done a lot for this game. He's done almost anything that you can possibly do. He's played the most minutes coming fresh out of high school. 2007, going up against Popovich's Spurs team. They lost. 2011 against the Mavs. Yes, that loss was inexcusable. There was no reason why they should have lost that finals. He eventually won again against um, OKC. He won against the Spurs, lost against the Spurs again, lost against Golden State. It wasn't 100% his fault. The first time, there was a few guys hurt. Kyrie was out. Kevin Love was out. He came back the next year, beat Golden State again. I'm sorry, beat them and lost against them this year. He's lost five times. He's lost against some good teams. But as far as his individual legacy, where he stands among the NBA all-time greats, LeBron James is good. He's good. Top five. He has a chance to be top three, perhaps top two. But as of right now, he's already top five. And his numbers, his statistics, his accolades, all that he's done proves it. LeBron James is good. So we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about the NBA draft. Now, there's been a lot of excitement around this draft. Um, Apparently, this is one of the greatest drafts since 2003, one of the strongest drafts with a lot of superstar potential, guys who can really make a difference with whichever team may draft them. Um. I've heard as much as picks one through five, which is rare because you really only get those guys with pick one, pick two. And even if they come to you later on, it was because they underachieved in some way and they they improved themselves over time. But they're talking picks one through five, solid. Star potential, perennial all-star potential. Now, of course, leading into the NBA draft, um, in the college basketball world, we had... Lonzo Ball, his father, 
LeVar Ball, which I'm not going to give him the time of day on my show. That's my personal choice. I don't like him too much, but it has nothing to do with his son. His son can ball out. Lonzo Ball is a good basketball player. Markel Fultz has been the number one consensus top pick since before the NBA, I'm sorry, the college basketball season started. And he's kept that number one uh, role since. Granted, he was on a bad team, but he cooked. He did his thing. They're comparing him to a better James Harden, which is a mighty comparison. But the kid may live up to it. Now, for myself, I am a Celtic fan. I've been a Celtic fan forever. I was excited. Draft lottery night when we landed the number one overall pick. Excited. It had been such a long time. We started rebuilding our team four years ago, going from 14th in the Eastern Conference to 10th to 7th to 5th. We went to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. So a five-year process went from being second to last in the East to now being in the Eastern Conference Finals. Plus, thanks to Brooklyn, plus the number one overall pick in the most strongest drafts that we've seen in a long time, I couldn't be more happier. Boston is a very interesting situation because they're a team right now that's winning. They have a lot of assets they can cash in. We'll discuss more about that a little bit later on. But specifically in relation to the draft, I'm excited with a guy like Fultz. I'm excited with a guy like Ball. I'm excited with a guy like Jackson. I said, hey, if we at least get a top three pick, because it's not a guarantee. We had the best chances, but it wasn't a guarantee that we'd get that number one pick. But I said, hey, I don't even care. As long as we wind up top three, I'm good. And we wound up with the number one pick. However, Danny Ainge and the Celtics traded that pick, which was made official today. The rumors were starting, I believe, Friday or Saturday. And they traded down in the draft. They traded down to the number three pick, which was previously owned by Philadelphia. And the ins and outs of that trade is that the Celtics were able to trade their number one overall pick in the 2017 draft to the Philadelphia Sixers. And in return, the Celtics received the number three overall pick in the 2017 NBA draft, as well as a future first round pick. Now for the future first round pick, it can be the Laker pick next year, 2018. If it's, if it falls between uh, selections two and selection five, If it's pick number one or anything after six, Philly will convey the pick that they owe to Boston the following year in 2019 for uh, Sacramento's pick that Philadelphia owns or their own pick. Whichever one is more favorable, that is the pick that Boston will get. However, if Sacramento's pick or Philadelphia's pick is the number one overall pick, then Boston will get the less favorable pick. So, this was a really mighty way to shake up things um, a few days leading up to the NBA draft, but it creates excitement. It creates excitement in the basketball world. I've had a lot of fun over the past few days going back and forth with guys talking about 
things that can possibly happen. Uh, we're really all lost because there's always reports and, you know, uh, sources that claim things. And no one really knows what's what, which makes it all the more exciting. Um, but now the draft has kind of changed because Boston has traded down. Philadelphia has traded up. And they've already said, we're picking Markel Fultz. So they'll have Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, and Joel Embiid. So this trust the process thing has worked out really well for them. And let's see where it takes them. But I want to get into the actual uh, draft itself. And I wanted to discuss about the first 10 picks. I'm not going to discuss all 30 picks. I'm I'm, I'm not that good. But um, the draft order has changed a bit. So obviously with the number one pick, uh, Philadelphia owns that pick. As everybody knows already, Markel Fultz, I do believe this is the best option for them over Alonzo Ball. Uh, Markel Fultz is a prolific scorer that can score the basketball at will. Now, they already have a guy by the name of Ben Simmons, who was the number one overall pick last year. Didn't get to play uh, because he got hurt. But Ben is a pass first point guard. So I think that'll work out perfectly the way that the Sixers would like because the two styles of play are compatible. So, sorry, compatible. So I'm excited to see that from a basketball fan standpoint. Um, that is exciting to see as well. So Markel Fultz, I have him going to Philly, number one overall. Now the Lakers, they still own their number two pick for now. There's been rumors swirling about what they might possibly do with it, but they still own that pick as of right now, which is Monday night. And obviously, Lonzo Ball has been linked to them for a very long time. Uh, his dad wants him to play there. He only worked out for them. He didn't work out for nobody else. But Magic Johnson has come out, and he said he's liked other guys, specifically De'Aaron Fox, specifically Josh Jackson, specifically Jason Tatum. So it'll be very, very interesting to see where the Lakers go with this pick. I personally hope, and this is out of pure salt, out of pure hate, no offense to Calvin, any of my boys who are Lakers fans out there, Abel, you feel me on this one. I hope that the Lakers don't pick Lonzo Ball. And again, that has nothing to do with basketball. That just has to do with his father's been running his mouth, trying to dictate things, who goes where, who does what. Nah. It'll be very, very glorious, in my opinion, if they choose someone other than Lonzo Ball. And that'll be very funny. That'll make me sleep really well at night. But I'm going to be realistic. And I have Lonzo Ball going number two. So Lonzo Ball gets his wish. Daddy gets his wish as well. They play with the Lakers. I'm sorry, he plays with them. And um, Lonzo Ball, I feel, will be a Laker, which brings us to the third pick, which is my team's pick, which is Boston's pick. Now, a little bit more on that trade. I just wanted to discuss that briefly. I understand why the trade makes sense, because the top two guys in this draft were point guards. We already have a loaded backcourt. Avery Bradley, Isaiah, excuse me. Isaiah Thomas, um, Marcus Smart. So to draft another point guard, I can understand why Ainge would make that move. 
as it doesn't really fit the need of our team. But you have a guy like Josh Jackson, who's a solid 6'8", with a wingspan of uh, 6'10", put up 16 points a game last year in Kansas as a freshman with seven boards, three assists, and really did his job there. He's a two-way player, which fits exactly the mark of our team. Our team is a defensive-minded team with a defensive-minded coach, which is really great, and I feel like Josh Jackson will fit in perfectly. I understand his jump shot may be a little bit broken. However, I do believe that Boston and Danny Ainge takes Josh Jackson with the number three overall pick. Now, he did come out and say, hey, I think the guy I would have picked with the number one pick will still be there at number three. I know it definitely wasn't false because Fultz is the best guy in this draft. And I know it's definitely not ball. That doesn't fit the team's needs. So I'm not 100% sure I buy the fact that he would have chose Jackson number one. But regardless, it's a good pick for us. I'll take it. We need the help on the wings, being able to guard guys like LeBron James, being able to guard guys like Kyrie, uh, et cetera. Kevin Love as well. All these teams now, all they do is shoot threes, and we do as well. So we have to be able to defend that, and I feel like Josh Jackson is that type of guy that will fit the mold for our team, and we should be good with that pick if they keep that pick. But that's another conversation that will be coming up pretty soon. This uh, top ten is specifically if all these guys keep their picks. This does not account for trades. Now, for the number four overall pick, which will be picked by Phoenix, I believe they'll go with a guy like Jason Tatum. Small forward from Duke. He's 19. He's 6'8", 204, 16 points last year, seven boards. Very similar to my man Josh Jackson, uh, which is kind of why it's kind of hard for me to pick for my own team who that they'd go with. But I believe that he will go to Phoenix to really help those guys out there. They got uh, Bledsoe, Booker, Um, A few more guys out there that can do their thing. So, Phoenix, I got him going there. Sacramento, De'Aaron Fox, freshman from Kentucky, uh, clearly gave Lonzo Ball the business in the NCAA tournament. Definitely put on a show. I think Sacramento is a good fit for him. Um, In regards to the Magic at number six, I believe they go out and get Laurie uh, Markinen. From Arizona, seven footer, 20 years old, gets boards, 225, solid guy. Magic haven't had the best of luck when it comes to their picks, but let's see what comes of this one. At number seven, we have the Magic. I'm so sorry, kind of lost it for a second. At number seven, actually, we have Minnesota, and I believe they go with a guy like Jonathan Isaac. Um, they have a really good team out there, a young team, Cat, Wiggins, um, Rubio, a few of those guys out there. They have a good head coach. So I believe Jonathan Isaac will be a good fit uh, for them defensively. He plays well. He's almost seven feet tall. So that will definitely help them out out there. Number eight for all my Knicks fans out there, um, I'm going to go with Dennis Smith, Jr., I don't know about the Russell Westbrook comparison. I think we need to pump the brakes on that. But he is a really good player. He was from NC State, put up 18 points a game, four boards, six assists, 
definitely a triple a triple threat kind of guy, which is what the Knicks need. Um, they're really in a rough place right now, so perhaps he can bring some youth, he can bring some life, and really put in work for that Knicks team. So excited to see him there if they do pick him um, with that pick. Number nine, we have the Mavericks. I believe that they take Malik Monk, freshman from Kentucky, scorer, pure scorer, 20 points a game last year. Doesn't really get boards, doesn't really get assists, but scoring is definitely what the Mavs need. Dirk is getting old. They got a lot of just meh guys on that team. So to bring a young guy who can come in and score the ball at will, I think that'll really help them. Um, Number 10, Sacramento also owns that pick. And uh, I believe that they will go with Zach Collins, freshman from Gonzaga. You added the guard. Now you add the big guy to that mix, seven feet tall, 10 points, five boards. I know it's not much, but he's definitely a solid, solid guy. And I think that that'll help them out as well. So Sacramento um, has the fifth and the 10th pick. Again, this is with the assumption that all these teams will keep their picks, which realistically may not happen. But um, that's my you want to call it my mock draft for the top 10 picks only so it's going to be very interesting um things have been shaken up already specifically with the boston trade did danny Ainge make a mistake in trading the number one pick in the 2017 nba draft to the sixers a lot of guys are saying oh what is danny Ainge doing he just gets assets and more assets and more assets and more and, and it doesn't really come to fruition. He didn't make a mistake. That was the right trade, especially, as I mentioned before, the fact that the top two guys that will be picked are guards. We don't need guards. Boston doesn't need guards. So why not trade down, get a future aspect, a future asset, a valuable pick, such as Laker pick 2018, Sacramento pick 2019, Teams who aren't even in contention that very may well in the lottery again over the next two years. Sacramento got picks five through ten, five and ten this year. In two years from now, they'll be in the same place. Lakers too. They're not out that rut yet. They don't have that guy yet. It takes time. So if we can get a future asset and then eventually flip that for a trade which I think is going to happen. I mean, nobody makes this trade unless there's something to follow up on. And I feel like Boston will be following up very soon, very soon. But it wasn't a mistake. It was a smart thing, especially when the top two guys do not fit your team needs. doesn't make sense to hold that pick. Trade down. There was rumors flaring that um, Chicago was contacting Philly in regards to that number three pick, which may have been the reason why Boston was willing to jump down, being that that'll eventually be their target guy, who they would want to get through a trade. So if um, Chicago was willing to take the number three pick from Philly, why not? You know what I mean? So continue to be able to build up on those assets. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do agree, eventually, you have to cash in. 100%, you have to cash in. And Danny Ainge's clock is ticking. From last year at the deadline, I said he has until the trade deadline of next season 
for his legacy to really either go down the chute or for him to be revered in Boston. So nothing can obviously happen yet. It's not draft night. We're not 100% sure. But it wasn't a mistake to trade the number one pick when the number one pick is a guard that doesn't fit your team needs. Trade it, get an asset, move from there. So now Jimmy Butler, as mentioned before, it's now come over the past few days, turned something in the likes of a Jimmy Butler sweepstakes, where it seems like every day some reporter source is coming out and saying, oh, this team is interested. They're going to make a trade. They're trying to uh, create a package deal. A report came out that the Cavs were trying to create a package deal, which is impossible unless they give up love. But there are teams that can give up more than Kevin Love, so I don't really see that happening. So what team will land him? Which team has the best possible chances to land a guy like Jimmy Butler? It is the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics, with this trade that they have made, have put themselves in prime position. Firstly, they have salary cap space to go out and sign a free agent in Gordon Hayward, who we've been targeting for years. Now is the time to make that deal. They don't need to trade for him. They can sign him outright. They will be able to sign Gordon Hayward come July 1st. Book it. Book it 100%. I believe that the Celtics will sign Gordon Hayward. Don't need no money for that. I mean, sorry, don't need to trade anything for that. All you need to do is spend money, which they can do. Now, being that they added this future first-round pick, now they can create package deals, right? So we own a Brooklyn's 2018 pick. That can be our selling point. We also own the number three pick in this year's draft, which is a deep draft and can be a point to sell as well. So if they are able to package either this year's number three pick or next year's 2018 pick, they can get a guy like Jimmy Butler sending guys out to um, salary match, and they can also disperse future first-round picks, be it the Kings in 2019, L.A. in 2019 as well. That's why when this trade happened, it only made sense that something further was coming. Something would be happening very soon while Ainge will make another move. This wasn't a move that just stopped here. This was a move that will lead to a future move. And as a Celtic fan, I'm really hoping that it leads to us landing Jimmy Butler. And we don't even have to clean house for him. That's what happens when you have assets. You can pick and choose which ones you would like to send via trade. And other teams, that's better than what they have. Better than what anybody else can offer them. So people sometimes don't understand, well, why do you keep loading up on assets? Loading up, loading up, loading up. It's because if you load up on first-round picks, which are very valuable in the NBA, you can turn those guys into stars. Trade for stars. But... Everybody wants it to happen on their time. It doesn't happen on your time. It happens when Danny Ainge sees fit or whoever else it may be. 
they could have uh, made a trade for Abaco, whoever. That wouldn't have helped us this year. That also wouldn't help us in the future. Sometimes it's best to wait and then to make those moves. Once those moves are made, now you can build a team that can be successful currently and in the future as well. So I believe that Boston lands Jimmy Butler with either the number three overall pick in this year's draft or the 2018 Brooklyn Nets pick. Some package surrounding that deal, some, some, some way, somehow, Boston will be able to get it done. I hope it comes before Thursday night. So let's see what happens. But that's my opinion, what I believe will eventually happen. So now you, got, you go out and you sign a guy like Gordon Hayward. Now you go out and make a trade for a guy like Jimmy Butler. And now your starting five is Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Gordon Hayward, Jimmy Butler, Al Horford. Not too shabby. That's definitely competition to the Cavs with a solid bench. Jay Crowder, Marcus Smart, Rozier, Jalen Brown. Solid. But I'm going to go a little bit outside the box with this one. They can also get Paul George. Again, because the assets that they have. Paul George came out and said, I am walking away in free agency. That's basically telling management, hey, trade me because I'm walking. So you better trade me and get something because I'm out this door no matter what. He forced their hand. He's forced their hand to trade him. Now it becomes a bidding war. But Indiana has no leverage whatsoever. So some teams will offer a 25-cent bag of chips. Some teams will offer a 50-cent bag of chips. And some teams might offer the dollar bag. No matter which way you slice it, it's a bag of chips. So who can offer the best bag? Boston can. Because of their future assets. If you're the Pacers, your star player is walking away and you're getting nothing? No, I'm taking whatever I can. And the most valuable thing that you can take back is first-round picks, which Boston has plenty of. So it's very possible, of course, if these trades go through, Bradley is most likely gone. Crowder is most likely gone. But your starting five now becomes Isaiah Thomas, Jimmy Butler, Gordon Hayward, Paul George, and Al Horford. I know it may sound crazy, but it's feasible. It's possible. Let's see what happens. We have to be patient. We have to wait. We have to see what Danny Ainge and the rest of these guys do. But it's an exciting time nonetheless. And I said earlier, I do not believe that Cleveland is the team to take out Golden State. They're not in prime position to do that. This was their year to do it, and they didn't do it because four will always be greater than three. But Boston is if the dominoes fall into place. If you fill the team of Isaiah Thomas, Jimmy Butler, Gordon Hayward, Paul George, Al Horford, that's not a big four. That's a big five. You got to do it. Now is the time to cash in. Danny Ainge has to cash in. Now is that time. They won't have the number three pick. They won't have Bradley. They won't have probably, who else? Crowder. 
But you got a big five, and you still have a decent bench. So that's the move. That's the team to take out the Cavs. That's the team to take out Golden State. And I don't want you guys to think, oh, he's saying that because he's a Boston fan and this and that. No, that has nothing to do with that. It's realistic. That's why you load up on first-round picks. That's why you clear cap space. That's why you keep guys on low contracts, team-friendly contracts. They have pieces that other people want. So Thursday is definitely going to be exciting. Everyone is looking forward to that. I definitely look to follow up with a post-NBA draft podcast, perhaps next week around this same time. I hope you guys are able to tune in for that. Um, It's definitely been great. Thank you once again for whoever listened in, joined in, gave us a phone call. Matthew T, appreciate you guys so much. Um, We'll be back next week. Follow me, Instagram, Facebook. I'll be keeping you guys up to speed. This is definitely a successful podcast. We spoke about a lot of things. I appreciate you guys. Enjoy the rest of your night.